Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. In the early first century, there was a fringe rabbi who had made his way into the city of Jerusalem. And this rabbi was stirring up trouble. And uh, he had really ticked off a couple of religious groups in the city. Uh, One group he silenced, and the other group said, well, he silenced them, but maybe we can challenge him. And so this group got their smartest, as they called it, a lawyer, uh, expert in in the Jewish law, and they said, let's approach this rabbi and let's ask him a question that will truly stump him. And so this expert in the law approaches this rabbi and he asks him this question. He says, what of all the law, of of the entire Jewish law, what is the one thing? Just tell us, what is the one thing? What is the most important thing? And this rabbi, who was known as Yeshua or Jesus from Nazareth, he looks at him and he says the most astonishing thing. And he quotes a portion of the passage of scripture from Deuteronomy this morning that we're going to be looking at. And we're in Deuteronomy, as many of you know, and the nation of Israel is on the edge of the promised land. They're on the precipice of promise. That's the name of our series. And they're looking out and they've been given a promise by God that they're to inhabit this land, and they're right on the edge. And as they look out, Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wants to prepare them for what's to come. He wants to prepare them for what's before them. And and as we said, Deuteronomy is three speeches. The first speech is a a reflection. Isaac did a great job last week of, of how faithful God was to Israel. And now this week and the next two weeks, we're moving into the second section, Moses' second speech, which is all about a recounting of the law a recounting of the law. And this morning, we're going to look at this one thing that Jesus says is the most vital of all the law. And this is so important because we're going to, and if you've been following us for the daily, there's a lot of laws in Deuteronomy, aren't there? There's a recounting of it. And so we, we want to answer the question. We want to understand what is the heart? What is behind all of this? What is the thing that is most important? And this section in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 is called the Shema. Uh, it's like the, the Jewish Lord's Prayer. It's the Jewish confession of faith. It's um, read in the prayers uh, daily. And this is what it is. Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we look Uh, hear this passage um, of such significance, Lord. Your entire word is of significance, and this is one of the portions of your word over time and history 
um, that has had such tremendous impact on your people, on your church. We want to sit under it now. And as a family here, as a people called into the new life in Christ, Lord, as many, uh, some are here who are uh, asking questions about this new life, Lord. They get to listen in and, and hear about this profound teaching, Lord. We want to learn from you. We're asking that your spirit would illuminate the truth of this word. I ask that you would give me the words to say. And thank you, Lord, for this time we have together before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the one thing? What is the one, one thing? Not two things, just one thing that ought to mark our lives as followers of Jesus. Of all the 613 laws, this lawyer asked Jesus, what is the one thing? And this is his answer, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. To love God. And, and, and how do we love God? And this, this passage just sort of walks us right through this. How is it that we as a people are to love God? And we find in the second part of verse 5, we're to love him, we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Heart, soul, and might. Now, the word love here in Deuteronomy and is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling, okay? It's more than that. It has to do with a relationship, a covenant relationship, an agreement, a relationship of love that goes beyond just an emotion. Deuteronomy actually uses the word love more than any other book in the entire Bible besides the Gospel of John, which is pretty amazing. I mean, so love is at the heart and the center is part of what Jesus is saying and part of what this section is in Deuteronomy is saying. Love is at the heart of the law. To be absolutely loyal and obedient to God in every respect, in every aspect of our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our deeds, in our motives, to love him, to love him is the aim of life. The heart, verse 5, the heart. We think about the heart, we think about emotions, but the heart in the Jewish mindset is not just the emotions, it actually also includes the mind. This is why Jesus, in Mark's account, actually expands and says, heart, soul, mind, and strength. You may say, well, why is it mind in here? Actually, mind is in here. It's in this idea of heart. It's volitional. It's how we make our decisions. It's our wants. It's our desires. That's our heart. That's the heart. Uh, it's not just the intellect. It's more than the intellect. It includes the intellect. The soul, okay? The, the word in Hebrew here is nefesh, which literally means throat, or the place through which air comes into our lungs and gives us life or our very existence. So this is Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As the deer pants for the water, okay, you, you get this picture of a deer desperately panting for the water. So my soul longs for you. My very existence, the essence of who I am, my very being. This is contrary to sort of Hellenistic teaching of there's this separation between, you know, the, um, the body and the soul. Okay, this is an integrated essence. When, when God creates and breathes life, uh, man becomes a living soul, a living being, a holistic, integrated person, the very essence of who they are. So with our decisions, with our volition, 
with our heart and then also with the essence of who we are, the very createdness of who we are. We are to love God. But not just with our soul, not just with our heart, but also with our strength. Uh, the, the Hebrew here is with our veriness. Isn't that a weird translation? With our muchness, okay? With our bodies, with, with everything we have, everything we have access to, all of our creativity, everything that, that we have to steward our lives, all of it ought to be ushered and, 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 and stewarded towards one thing, love for God, to love the God who created us. And so the question is, well, what does it look like to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And because love is more than an emotion, we find here in the next part, in verse 6, very important part of what it means to love God. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay? So, if love is more than an emotion, and love has to do with a relationship, love has to do with a commitment, and what we find is that these commands, our actions, our activities, how we live, the things we do are actually a reflection of our love for God. So how do we love God? Okay, John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay, 1 John 5, 3, the apostle John says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands. Hearing in Deuteronomy is not just what happens in your ears. It actually is what happens, what goes into your ears, into your brain, gets down into your heart, gets into your bloodstream, and gets worked out in your hands and your actions in your life. So our activities are a reflection of what we love the most. Our time and where we spend it is a reflection of where and what we love the most. Our words are a reflection of who and what we love the most. The true expression of a love relationship is found in our actions. Can you imagine this? If I said to my wife every morning, I woke up and I said, oh, Katie, how I love you. And then I just went the rest of my day without speaking to her, without texting her little heart emojis, without, 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 uh, without, doing, without serving her in any way, ignoring her altogether, I come back home, I go into bed, I don't say goodnight, I wake up the next morning, I say, oh honey, how I love you, and then I go about with my day the same way. There would be serious questions about whether I love her, even though I'm saying it over and over again with my words, my actions are saying something completely different. If I never date her, if I never spend time with her, if I never hold her, if I never make love to her, if I never do what she asked me to do, Joey, can you put those dishes away? Sure, honey, I love you. Don't do it. It's not an expression of love for her. And so how do we live within God's love? It's an amazing and profound truth we do and we act based on what he asks of us. We obey his commands. We follow him. If he says go here, we go here. If he says go there, we go there. If he says stop, we stop. If he says go, we go. If he says get down on your face and pray right now, we get down on our face and pray right now. We are so deeply connected in a love relationship with him. 
that our lives reflect and are acting upon everything that he commands of us. And we're going to go through his, we're going through his commands in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, this entire book lays out the very things that God asks of us as a demonstration of our love for him. Because our love is not just an emotion, it is action. The next few verses of this passage, after he says, listen, my command to you and you obeying those commands are how it's on your heart, how you express love to me. Verse 7, 8, and 9 talk through very practically what this actually looks like. And, and I hope these next three verses are utterly challenging to you and to us as a church right now. Because for some of us, we have gone through a very difficult season, understandably so, and there are all kinds of other loves that have popped up in our lives. And we, many of us have gotten totally out of rhythm, totally out of spiritual shape, as you might say. And we're in a rut. We're sort of just spiritually dry. We're complaining about it. We're frustrated with everything. And these three verses are, are like a beautiful pathway through which we can cultivate the love relationship that we have with God. Some of these things you're familiar with, and I just want to walk through them and give us some really practical outworkings. Teach them first, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay. For those of you who aren't parents, your roommates, those who you live your life with, your family. But the, the command here, the instruction here, is to teach the word. All of us are actually called to be teachers. I'm not saying everybody's called to be up here uh, up front or teaching a Bible study or, or whatever that might be, but, but we're all called to teach the word to one another in the flow and the ordinary flow of our life. Okay? This word teach is actually uh, to engrave through repetition. So we are, we are practicing this teaching of the word to one another, to our children, to our families, to our roommates, so much so that it gets engraved into the depths of our hearts. That's what he says. We want the commands to be on our hearts. And it's through that repetition, through that engraving that happens. Okay, let me just give you a really simple example, a few simple examples in our church and in the life of our family, okay? Uh, Children of Hope, we talked about this earlier. There are materials that parents get every Sunday after the gathering that they can take home to teach their children, to reiterate to their children what they're learning. Discipleship really starts in the home. It starts with parents, with their children, but we want to equip and support parents in that. And so we have these great resources through our curriculum. We want our children to know and love the word of God. If you were with us during the week, we certainly don't do this perfectly, but we're having family time together. And sometimes our kids are all about it, and sometimes they don't want anything to do with it. But we're, we're, we're huddling up, okay, around the dinner table, before bed, our schedule's kind of crazy with four kids, okay? In the morning, whenever we can find time, whenever we're all around, I'm calling us together. Hey, how's it going? What are you learning? What is the Lord teaching you? Little things. And, and it's not always me teaching them, though I'm kind of guiding and setting the stage for that. Sometimes it's Katie. Sometimes it's Sophia. In fact, this last week, it was Gio. Gio, Tomorrow, I want you to read a little bit of the word, and then when we have family time, I want you to come and share with us what you learned. Share with your younger brother what you learned. We want to get into a natural flow and a natural rhythm, not out of legalism, but the word of God would saturate our lives, and we would constantly be teaching one another. This is a question to ask each other. This should be part of our culture as a church. What is the Lord teaching you? What are you learning from him this week? It doesn't have to be a sermon. 
One little point of conviction, one little point of truth. Share it, teach it to one another. And when are we supposed to teach it? Second part of verse seven. We teach it and we, we, we should teach it and we should talk of it when we sit down in our house and when we walk by the wayside, okay? So it starts in our homes and our relationships, but it absolutely overflows into all of our life, okay? So in the home, but not just in the home, but at work, and not just at work, but on the golf course, and not just on the golf course, but when you're going on a walk with another mom in the neighborhood, and not just that, but when you're on the bus, okay? One of the most uh, fun things that we did this last year was on uh, driving Luca and Sophia to school. Here we are uh, driving to school every day, and here we are along the way, opening up the daily every morning, so, Sophia, can you read it this morning? Luca, can you read it this morning? Yeah, what, do you, what, what did Todd and Amy have to say? What was their thought there? What, what did this passage say? What did Chris have to say? And we're talking about the Word. We're learning the Word. We're reading the Word for ourselves, And we're slowly living a kind of life where this engraving is happening. Okay? I have a friend, and he says, you know what? We don't ever pray before meals because that's just legalistic and... Um, you know, we, we just, you know, people pray, Christians pray all the time before meals, and they don't ever pray, or they don't ever talk about God the rest of their week. I'm like, I see that. That's a problem. That's a real thing. Can we just admit to that? Okay, but, but not praying doesn't solve that problem. <laughs> okay. Pray, but pray from the heart. Keep it fresh. Mix it up. Pray with your eyes open. I don't know, like, you know, it, we don't, you know, but, but it doesn't mean don't do it, okay? Every morning, Katie and I, well, not every morning, I want to do it every morning. Sometimes she's like, I just need some space to myself. <laughs> but we're having coffee together on the back porch, and we're asking ourselves these questions. What are you learning? What's the Lord teaching you? What is the theme? What is the thread? It's not out of legalism. It's because it overjoys our hearts to learn, what God is teaching us. Fishing with my boys, okay? We're going out on the boat. We're praying for a good catch, okay? But we're talking. We're processing, okay? Watching a film, okay? Where are the points that this film intersect with the gospel? Where are the points where this film intersect with the word? We're asking those questions. We're processing through it. And I, from this sermon, it sounds like we do this all the time perfectly. Please don't think that at all. We fail a lot in this. But the point is, this is on our hearts, okay? This is why in our discipleship process, in our community groups, and through the daily, and in our discipleship bands, we're asking, how is the Lord convicting you? What is he showing you? We are a people who, as we go, are speaking of the commands, speaking of the word. We're teaching it to one another, and we're speaking of it, but we're not just speaking of it. We're also, in the next verse, here, next part of the verse here, where we are marking our days with them. When you lie down, and when you rise. Okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great theologian from the 20th century, one of my heroes, you know, uh, he started a seminary from 1935 to 1940 um, as Nazism was rising, and uh, it was kind of this underground seminary. And he, he was so hardcore. He said, listen, the first thing that anyone should hear in the morning is the word of God. So the seminary students were not allowed to talk to one another. <laughs> Might have been a little bit <laughs> legalistic. <laughs> But the point was taken. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying, listen, the morning, the very first thing that we hear, the very first thing that we read ought to be the word of God over our lives. I mean, this is what I, 
attempt to practice. I can tell you some mornings I pick up my phone and it's not the Bible app. It's not a passage of scripture. It's the calendar for the day or the to-do list for the day. Okay? We will practice the things that we love and are most dear to our heart. Could we be a family? Could we be a church where every morning when we woke up, the very first thing that we did was open this word and let it wash over us? And might it be that we as a family, as a church, that when we put our heads down at the pillow, on the pillows at night, the last thing we do is read this word. I've got a great, but it's just an evening prayer rhythm that you go through, praying, reading the word, allowing it to wash over us. May our days be bookend. This is part of what the Shema and what Jesus is saying, that your life is to be marked by love for God through bookending your days with his command and his words. I love my son, Luca, who sometimes can't always stay awake in church, and yet every night, here he is, listening to the Bible. I go in uh, I, I, in the morning sometimes just to, you know, check in on him, and I hear the Bible just, you know, uh, being read over him. He forgot to turn it off the night before. We're not just to bookend our days with them, but we're also then, next verse here, next part of the ver- passage here, to bind them as a sign on our hand, and they shall be as frontlets bef- uh, between your eyes. Now, what does this mean? Okay, you have to know a little bit about Jewish history here. Okay, this is a sign and a symbol. Okay, uh, this would be on your forearm or on your forehead, like a kind of a headband. Uh, these were uh, Teflon. So they, were, they would take scraps of the Torah, scraps of the Bible, and tie it and put it in a little pouch and tie it around their wrist and tie it around their forehead. Now, over time, this did become legalistic. I mean, this is part of what Jesus was laying into Pharisees on. Like, hey, you have these things around your wrist, but your hearts are far from God. So we want our hearts to stay close to God, but that doesn't mean this practice is a bad practice. What does it look like to have words or verses with you? Maybe the thing that you read in the morning, you write on a scrap of paper, you Write it on your wrist. I don't know. And I had a friend actually who got a tattoo where he, every morning he puts a verse in this little square on his wrist. It's actually pretty thoughtful because every morning he's doing that, he's taking it with him. What would that look like for us to carry the word in our bodies? This is an embodiment. This is the physicality. Jesus is saying, this word is so vital. To love him is to carry his word with us in everything that we do through the day. Do you carry the word of God with you? Do you have it on your phone? When you have a moment, do you check CNN or Fox News or whatever news outlet you watch? Do you watch, do you, do you go to YouTube and watch videos? Or do you take time, just five minutes, 30 seconds, open it up, let it saturate over you, let it soak into your life? Jesus is saying this is, this is how we cultivate a love relationship with God where our lives are marked by loving him. And then lastly, verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is for many uh, masuza, which is a little sort of metal, well, it can be wood or metal, and you kind of nail it to the inside threshold. This is what we have in our home. If you come to our house, you'll see this, and we have the Shema written on the inside of it. Okay? And, and, and as I walk in the door, I see this. I'm reminded that this is a house that is God's house. This is a house of peace. This is a house where 
We want our love for him to rule and reign in everything that we do. The threshold of your life, when you go from one season to another, is a threshold marked by God's word. And it's not just the threshold here of your own door, but it says the gates. And this isn't talking about like a personal house gate. They didn't have those in that day. This is actually the gates of the city. And so here we're looking out and we're saying, not only are we individually should be marked by God as people who love God and as families and roommates who love God and as a church who love God, but we want to, as David said earlier, further the gospel and the love of God in the city and the world. How amazing would it be if the if the gates of our city were marked with God's word. I mean, that's a vision. Does this describe your life? I mean, I, I hope, I hope this is a message that convicts us. It certainly is me all week long. I hope we read this passage and I hope we're like checking our lives against that. Does this kind of love for God flow from your heart and your soul and your strength and saturate every aspect of your life that you teach his words and talk about them and embody them and pen them and your days are marked by them? Many of us have with our words over many years said, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. But you've come into a season where your heart is cold and hard. And like John saw a vision from Jesus in Revelation 2-4 to the church in Ephesus, he said, you've forgotten your first love. Where has the fire gone? Where did the love go? You say, Lord, Lord, you come to church, you raise your hand, you sing the songs, but your heart is far from him. This is why what Jesus said to this so revolutionary, he didn't say the point of the law is obeying the commands in themselves. He said the point of the law is love. The point of the law is a love relationship with your heavenly father. The point of the law is to cultivate a relationship with him. They were expecting an answer about law, but the response was love. Jesus says love. But the problem is you don't actually love God the way that you ought to. I don't love God the way that I ought to. And it's not only that we don't do it, it's that we don't really truly want to. We have other loves in our lives that have surfaced up, that seduce us every day that our activities and our obedience follows. We're obedient to something every day of our lives. The question is, will it be God or will it be these other lesser loves in life? And not only do we not want to, but we actually can't. Because even our most valiant attempts to love God are riddled with self-love. And you're like, that's painful to hear. It is. It's so painful to hear. It's painful for me to hear. So much of what we do, even as we say in expression for love for God, is actually utterly self-serving. And why is this? Why is this? If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the 
the thing that is so important to understand. And for those of us who are here who are Christians, we professed faith in Christ. This is the heart of the faith. This is the heart of the relationship that we have with Christ. We don't love God the way that we ought to because our first parents in the garden rebelled. Sin sprang to life in them. And in the wake of that sin, we are found to be utterly broken and utterly incomplete. In fact, the Bible says dead, spiritually dead, is our condition. We're not who we ought to be, and this leaves us yearning and longing for a completion to be complete. And everything we do in life has some kind of this self-serving element that we're trying so desperately to find love. We're trying so desperately to be loved. And we try so desperately to fill ourselves. And so we can't love God the way that we're supposed to. I have a sticker on my car. It says two words, rookie driver. June thinks that was, he thought that was for me. (laughs) And if you've ever driven with me, he's right. (laughs) But it's actually not for me. It's for my 15-year-old daughter, who will be 16 soon. She got her learner's permit last week. And every time we go out, Dad, can I drive? Okay, let's do it. And it is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And I told her I was going to say that, and she's good with it. And this last week, we're coming up to a red light. And right before we get there, the light turns yellow. And if you're a rookie driver, you're not sure what to do. And I say to my daughter, stop. (laughs) And she says, okay, Dad. And she goes right through it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what is happening with her at that stoplight? Because she would say, I love my dad. I know she would if she was here. But she didn't do what I asked her to do in that moment. She just didn't. What was going on with her? I asked her about that. We were processing last night a little bit. She said, Dad, I think, I think that in that moment, I wasn't really trusting you. I was relying on myself. I was trying in a way to complete myself. I was trying in a way to preserve myself. I was trying in a way to save myself, and I didn't actually trust words to me were really the best thing for me. She didn't trust me because she didn't believe she was safe or secure under my authority in that moment. And she said it this way, this is the wall that we approach when we try to love God and obey him out of our own strength. And here is the conundrum. This is the big question and the tension that the entire story of scripture raises. How can God demand something from us that we can't actually do. How could Jesus say, this is the one thing. Love God with everything you are, all of your energy, all of your effort. And then we know in our heart of hearts, there's not a chance we can do it. And this is the moment where we're plunged into the very first lines of the Shema that are so often looked over that at the heart remind us of how we are able 
to love. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear this, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You'd say, well, isn't this just an announcement that God is one and, you know, that's, that's important information. Yes, okay, but there's something at the heart of this. Before there's an imperative to love him, here there is an, an indicative. Hear, listen, and act is the call. Hear, O Israel. Do you know what it means for God to call a people by name? It means that he loves them. It means that he is committed to them. It means that they are his own. It means when when we find the Lord our God, it means that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, Yahweh, has called this people, this nation, Israel, by name. They are his. Before there's an imperative to love God with everything we are, there's an indicative that God has loved us with everything that he is. The word here, one, does not, is not actually referring to like a Trinitarian, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is one. It's actually saying in the, light of, in, in, in the light of all the other gods of all the other nations, all the other things your heart could go after and love, there is one utterly and absolutely committed to you in covenant relationship. You are loved through and through. And get this, you are loved through and through regardless of how you obey. Regardless of whether you do what I asked you to do or not, God is saying here, you are mine. I am uniquely yours. The word one here is like the uniqueness of God. His set-apartness. This is in Song of Solomon 6, 8 through 9, where a star-struck lover declares that his beloved is unique when compared to others. Okay, this is God saying, listen, I am uniquely yours and you are uniquely mine and there is nothing that can ever change that. You are totally and absolutely secure in my love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness, cries Jeremiah. Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. How priceless is your unfailing love, says the psalmist. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, says John. In 1 John 3, 1. And how did God not just say that he loves us with his words, but he himself demonstrated to us? We know the story. And for those of you who haven't heard the story, the story comes back to the same story every week, every day, every moment. This is the story that we allow to wash over us, the cross. Ephesians 2 Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Romans 5, 1 through 8, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, he died for us. 1 John 4, we love. Why? Because God first loved us. We, we are called to love God with all that we are. Why? Because hero Israel, 
the Lord your God is one. He is yours and he has loved you. I love how Spurgeon says it. If we loved him so much that men called us fanatics, we should be perfectly justified. And that if our heart were all taken up with him, if we lived for nothing else but to serve him, if we had not a breath or a pulse that was not devoted to him, if we laid down our lives for him, yes, if we had 10,000 lives and laid them all down for him, we think that such love as that which he sponsorly showed us when we were his enemies would perfectly justify us doing all that and 10,000 times more if it were possible, he says. On the precipice of promise, on the edge of life, when we look out and all we can see is the terror of the landscape before us, what is it that we need to hear? An imperative to love, actually not first. An indicative that we are loved. Because Israel's not going to have the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. They're going to be going into the promised land. And the question is, will they live in his love? One day, my daughter is going to be driving and I'm not going to be in the seat beside her. And the reason why why she will obey me, Lord willing, when I am absent from her is because she knows my presence and how deep my love is for her. Do you know this morning how deeply loved you are? Not anything you've done. Not because of your religious deeds. Not because you're moral. Not because you've obeyed one command in this book. That's not what his love for you is based upon. His love for you is based upon the fact that he chose you and he came to you in your sin and he came to your rescue and he died for you in love. And there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from that love. The world is starving for love. And the God of the universe has made eternal, secure love available. The point of the law, Jesus is saying, is not that you do things for God, not that you do things even to express your love for him. That is an outworking, a response of his love for you. And could we be a family? Could we be a church as we look out to our city, as we look out to the devastation of our world, that we would be a people that are so consumed and so overwhelmed by the divine, sweet, and supernatural love of God that it secures us in a way that we are bold. We are radically bold to love. We are radical to let his word saturate our lives. And we are radically bold to go out into the world and demonstrate this love out of the love with which he has loved us through the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your love for us is not an emotion. It's a covenant. 
You chose us, not because of anything righteous that we've done, not because of any record that we hold. You love us, rooted in ultimately the love you have, Lord, and the commitment you have to your covenant to us. And we don't deserve that, and we're so thankful for that. We pray that that love would overwhelm us this morning. And I pray for each of my friends in this room. I pray for those who have been walking with you for many years, who have forgotten their first love. That this morning you would drench them with a deep sense and a deep knowledge of your covenant love, your relationship to them, your unrelenting grace and favor for them, even though they've rebelled, even though they've rebelled this week, even though they run from you, you have pursued them, you're pursuing them. And I pray, Father, for those in this room who have never tasted, never experienced, never known, never professed faith and turned from their sin and believed the gospel to be true. I pray that your spirit would make your love real to them, shed your love abroad in our hearts, that we would be a people who love you, rooted in the knowledge of knowing how deeply you love us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.